in an emerging space, you know, it can be difficult to guess the winners versus the losers. The great thing with market cap here is it automatically adjusts to the winners and the losers. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the summer moves along, both equity and fixed income markets have been heating up with volatility. Investors looking to cool off can turn to the longer-term trends that extend beyond the next 12 to 18 months, including clean energy, autonomous tech, space tourism, and ESG bonds. In this episode, Matt Montemiro, Chris Heeks, and your host, Danielle Nezel, explore the potential upside of these megatrends and how they can be accessed through BMO's Innovation ETF Suite. Our experts also delve into recent trends concerning the Canadian housing market and outline what, if any, impact investors can expect to see in the mortgage-backed securities market. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Welcome back to Views from the Desk. This is our weekly podcast where we have our industry experts discuss what's going on in the equity and fixed income marketplace and provide insight on how this all ties back to ETFs. I'm Danielle Nezel, Product Manager with BMO Exchange Traded Funds. We have Chris Heeks and Matt Montemurro with us today, both our Directors and Portfolio Managers at BMO ETF. Thanks, Chris and Matt, for joining us today. Thanks, Danielle. Good to be here. Thanks for having us, Danielle. Good morning, everyone. Great. Thanks. So, you know, it might be the dog days of summer, but the markets haven't slowed down, so there's lots to talk about. And first, one of the main headlines that we've been seeing this summer is on extreme weather. So floods in Europe, here in Canada, we've been dealing with some horrible fires, tornadoes, um, really dominating the headlines. So there's been this renewed focus on climate change. So Chris, maybe we'll start with you. I was hoping you could provide us an update on the BMO Clean Energy ETF, ZEDCLEAN. Uh, give us a little insight. What does the portfolio look like right now? What kind of companies are in there? And then what are your thoughts on the growth potential for the theme of clean energy looking out long term? Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks, Danielle. I think clean energy has certainly been a, been a hot theme. Uh, and, and there's a bit of a pun intended there with a, with a hot summer we're having. You know, there's, there's a few fun facts around it. You know, we just launched this product in January, as you know, but um, you know, it's, it's one that's gaining a lot of traction quickly. So a few, few couple of fun facts that I think are interesting. Um, so since 2016, there's been $1 trillion in financing for wind and solar assets. So $1 trillion since 2016. But in the last year, uh, there's been $500 billion. So half of the $1 trillion, $500 billion has come in the last year, uh, where bonds have been earmarked for green projects. So, you know, I think when you look at kind of ESG investing, you know, 10, even five years ago, um, I don't think it was on the radar nearly as much as it is now. And I think the biggest investor in markets, and we've seen this with government stimulus, is, is governments now. Um, and, and they can really move markets. And, and people want, um, by and large, the governments to pursue more of a clean energy agenda. Uh, so I think the reason we launched the product back in January is we we think this is one of our mega trends that's going to play out, you know, over, you know, 
over a long period of time. Uh, but we do think this is a trend that's, you know, really kind of early in its infancy, so to speak. Um, if you look at renewable electricity, it's about 25%, about a quarter of the world electricity supply, you know, and hydroelectricity is the biggest portion of that. Uh, but the expectation is for that to go to 55% by 2050. Um, it's going to require a lot of investment, um, but it seems like a lot of governments, you know, most governments are on board. You know, the U.S. rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. So, you know, we think this is, you know, a long-term story that's, you know, we have faith that it's going to play out. Um, now, in terms of, um, you know, the, the product to gain exposure to the steam, Zed Clean, uh, there's, you know, two types of companies that make it into the portfolio. And, and one would be a renewable energy producer. And renewable energy is typically going to be, you know, hydro, solar, or wind are the main ones. And then the other type of company are the uh, equipment providers, so the service providers that are going to provide the technology and, say, the solar panels and those types of companies to, to help make that become a reality. So it's diversified both between producers and um, and equipment providers. So, um, you know, we launched it. We launched it at $30. You know, it's a bit of a volatile sector. I think it's fair to say that. I think for most investors, the way to look at this is um, as a satellite position. Um, it's going to be most appropriate as a satellite for most investors, but it's got that high return potential. And, and obviously, with a high return potential also comes higher volatility. And particularly in short term, we can see higher volatility. But, you know, the reason we launched this product is we do think over long periods of time, um, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, you know, this is going to be a great return generating tool for investors. So, you know, we have that expectation that it's going to pay off over time. So yes, it's experienced some volatility this year, but we still have, uh, you know, quite, quite bullish on it. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of reversion in markets in the past, call it two months, uh, where the growth trade, um, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, the growth trade has come back a little bit, you know, and that's going to, that, that's kind of benefited clean energy. So I think it's, it's kind of found a level now around 21, $22, and it's been there for a while, and, and um, you know, hopefully we'll see that in the kind of nearer term also gain strength. But you know, we're quite bullish over the long period of time, and I think investors should look at this with a, you know, a um, a long term focus, you know, if they can, and put it into that kind of higher risk but higher return bucket of their portfolio. Great, thanks, Chris. Now I want to stick with ESG issues because uh, this has been a really big topic overall for the the year so far. So. This has been top of mind for investors this year. Uh, you know, we just talked about Chris in ESG theme with clean energy. Um, we're seeing huge flows into ESG ETFs. The Canadian ETF industry is now over a billion um, in assets in ESG ETFs. So an area of growing interest in this space has been uh, in the fixed income side of the portfolio. So ESG fixed income, we're seeing a few new products come to market uh, this year. So Matt, I'm going to turn to you. How does ESG work in the fixed income space and especially looking to credit? And then how can this ESG lens add a layer of risk mitigation for a fixed income portfolio? It's a great question, Danielle. And, and you know, ESG has definitely been a hot topic for some time now. And, and in 2021, we really started to see the flows amplify as investors increasingly align their financial outcomes with their ESG objectives. Now, although we tend to look at ESG from an equity perspective and an alpha generation tool, ESG actually plays a very important role in fixed income markets. So if you think about companies 
companies generally issue debt much more frequently than they do equity, making bondholders actually very uniquely positioned to enact change by aligning their ESG priorities to a company's capital funding needs. And we're definitely seeing that trend in 2021 with a flurry of green bond and sustainability-linked bond issuance right here in Canada. And so, you know, that that fundamental um, connection between a capital a company's capital funding needs and an investor base that's increasingly interested in in uh, pushing their ESG agenda does enact change and does act as a way of risk mitigation for for many fixed income investors. So, when you're looking at ESG for bonds, I would I look at it as a risk mitigation strategy a way to lim- uh, limit some of that downside risk. And you know, if you think about what you want from the fixed income allocation of your portfolio, you want to limit the downside. You want the, the equity portion of your portfolio to, to provide that alpha, and you want that fixed income to be that ballast and pre- prevent some of that downside risk. And so ESG is a perfect alignment in, in what we really want from the fixed income side of our portfolio. You know, historically, if you, if you look at historical ESG scores, um, you know, companies with higher ESG scores has meant lower default rates, lower downgrade risk. And it's a very simple way of adding a quality tilt to your fixed income portfolio. You know, we've seen it time and time again um, that investors can reach their ESG objectives without having to sacrifice risk characteristics like duration, yield, credit quality, or diversification. So you're not really giving up much by adding this quality tilt, this risk mitigation into your fixed income uh, portfolio. You know, I think ESG factors are most relevant, as you said, uh, when we're looking at credit and looking at corporate bonds, you know, both in investment grade and in high yield. So at BMO, we offer three different exposure types. So we have Canadian investment grade credit, so that's ESGB. We have U.S. investment grade credit, that's ESGF. And we have U.S. high yield, which is ESGH. So how we create these portfolios and how we, how, what the, the indexes that we, we decided to track. So we decided to leverage the ESG experts at MSCI, and we implement their rating system into the index creation and the portfolio creation process. All securities within these ETFs have a minimum of a triple B rating ESG score, and it excludes, you know, controversial sectors and industries. You know, just for example, you know, alcohol, tobacco, gaming, controversial weapons, just to name a few. And I think the ETF is a unique um, vehicle for it because it, it provides an easy and efficient tool to express your ESG objectives without having to give up on, on uh, returns or the exposures you're looking for. It, it's, it's an excellent way to add a quality tilt to your portfolio without really having to give up all that much on, um, from, a, from a yield or from a, a, per, a specific exposure uh, perspective. Now, and I, I do think that ESG and fixed income continue to be very well aligned. If you look historically, uh, ESG, a higher rated ESG bonds uh, exhibit better uh, risk return characteristics, mainly due to that enhanced downside protection that it's, it's a, you, know, you can think of it as an added uh, active uh, overlay on a, on a passive product. You know, we're really starting to see uh, investors really embrace implementing ESG objectives 
into their portfolios. And our three uh, fixed income offerings continue to be the core of many fixed income um, portfolios going forward. And I think all three of those products, ESGB, ESGF, and ESGB are excellent building blocks to, to provide um, a, a very diversified, well-balanced fixed income allocation while, while uh, focusing and, and aligning to your ESG objectives as a whole. Thanks, Matt. You know, you brought up a great point about the ESG opportunities. A lot of investors think of that as, as looking for that alpha generation, but also thinking about the ESG risk and avoiding these with these ESG products. So some, some good insight there. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Okay, so another headline this summer that's actually really exciting to follow has been space travel. So kind of an exciting plot line. You know, we're watching this arms race develop between some major companies and very rich CEOs getting out into the stratosphere. Uh, But how do we tie this back to investing and seeing growth opportunities in, in this emerging trend? So how can investors get exposure to this theme of space travel? Uh, using the ZAUT. And Chris, I'm going to send this your way. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. So Z, ZAUT is our, our uh, another ETF we launched in January. Again, a mega theme that we think or a mega trend that's going to play out over uh, you know many years. But uh, ZAUT is our autonomous technology and industrial innovation. Um, so it's a sub-theme of our, of our innovation suite that, that's really looking at you know, technology and how that's going to transform, um, you know, the way we, the way we live and the way we spend and, you know, space travel is a great example of that. Um, certainly in its, it's very early infancy. Um, you'd be pretty lucky if you were on that short list for the first flight, cause it's what, what four people got to go up with, uh, Jeff Bezos, but, um, you know, probably this is something that's going to over, over the years, again, over that kind of five, 10, 15 years, um, could, could, could well become, you know, quite a bit more regular and, you know, and, you know, I think there's a potential certainly for that space tourism industry to certainly flush out over time, um, you know, assuming it's safe and everything. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But, um, yeah, certainly the ZAUT can get exposure to, to you know, not only the space, but but all kinds of technology and, and industrial innovations. You know, I think, um, you know, there's this could be a huge part of our life going forward, um, machine learning and AI and robotics. Um, which both feed the space travel pursuit as, as well as feed, you know, kind of the everyday business of, of most companies these days. Um, so AI and robotics are the highest kind of sub-segments of weights within this portfolio. Uh, vehicle automation is there as well, um, you know, and then, you know, quite a few others. So, you know, again, this is a, you know, a long-term theme and, and we've uh, launched these products to get exposure to them. Again, it's a higher risk and probably a higher return proposition over the long term is what our expectations are. I think the real benefit, something I really like about these, the way we structured these, and credit to you, Danielle, and the product team, is 
the market cap application. So this 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 index that we have with MSCI and ARC, the partnership, um, you know, at a, at a high level, the weightings we look at both the market cap and the innovation score of a company. So when weighting the portfolio, it's a combination of, you know, how innovative is the company according to our metrics um, for this sub theme. And then we multiply that times the market cap. And I think the reason this is important is, you know, in an, in an emerging space, you know, it can be difficult to guess the winners and versus the losers. And so, you know, a great example of that is the tech bubble in 2001, certain companies, you know, obviously emerged from that um, kind of speculative uh, bubble and became very successful in legitimate businesses. Obviously, many companies um, failed, you know, <laughs> somewhat catastrophically. So the, the great thing with market cap here is I think it automatically adjusts to the winners and the losers in, in, in the sector. And so, you know, we'll be writing that theme and writing the winners kind of, you know, as they go. So it's self it's self-rebalancing in this space and you have less risk of um, having too much exposure to those companies that aren't, aren't performing. So I think that's a real benefit of the way we structured the innovation um, ETFs in general. So not just this one, but all the innovation ETFs. Uh, but again, yeah, so ZAUT, you know, it's a great way to play that theme of, you know, technology as it, as it, as it um, impacts uh, industrial you know, industrial processes and, and space tourism and, 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 uh, and other ideas. So I think it's a very interesting product for people to uh, be looking at. Again, it's probably more of a satellite type product for most investors, but I think it's an interesting one if you can hold it for a long period of time and, and, and hopefully profit from it. A satellite product for space travel access. That's no pun intended, <laughs> right, Chris? That's right. <laughs> good, good, good catch. <laughs> All right. Uh, lastly, Canadian housing market. This is another big one. Can't kind of miss this if you're reading the papers, the headlines. So we're seeing this kind of start pulling back this summer after like a gangbusters year for housing market, especially in Canada. So the BMO MBS uh, ETF, ZMBS. Matt, what are your thoughts on this on this ETF right now? Is what's going on in the housing market affecting this? And then where would you see um, an ETF like this fit in the portfolio? Yeah, it's uh, that's a great uh, great question, Danielle. And you know, historically low interest rates have definitely sent the housing market in Canada on on quite the ride. You know, we've seen significant upward price activity. Uh, you know, particularly looking in urban centers like Toronto. You know, we've we've started to hear concerns about the unaffordability of housing in 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 places like Toronto. I think that's a that's a common concern that we're seeing regularly. If, you know, reading the paper on on a daily basis. You know, uh, but I do think, as you said, we're starting to see some of those fireworks slow down, have the market cool just a little bit. Um, but that does lend, you know, some to be concerned whether, you know, are we in a bubble? Are we, is there a major correction on the horizon? Um, you know, Alfred Lee has mentioned actually in his Q3 BMO ETF portfolio strategy report, which was uh, just released and it's available online, you know, that although rates have regressed in, in Q2, you know, the, the threat of higher rates is real and definitely remains a concern. You know, so this rising rate environment should naturally cool some of the housing market that that trend of cooling that we've seen over the last month or so. You know, as higher rates will naturally bring down valuations and bring down the affordability of of some of these uh, 
more expensive homes. You know, so with this concern and, and you know, if, if our expectation is correct that, that rates are going to rise, which I think is a expectation given, you know, the historically low level we're currently sitting, you know, I think many investors have the question, you know, what does this mean for MBS? What does this mean for ZMBS? You know, and, and I think, you know, the NBS, the mortgage-backed security market, is a little bit of a misnomer here uh, looking specifically in Canada. So, you know, while if we were a U.S. NBS investor, I would think that this would be uh, – there would be some concern here. Uh, the U.S. NBS market is, is fundamentally uh, very different than that in Canada. It's much more speculative in nature, and that's that's fundamental in the regulation mortgage regulations that we have here in Canada versus the U.S. Um, so, you know, volatility in the housing market that cooling down would mean some potential volatility for the MBS market in the U.S. because that is looked as a risk asset. It's a speculative market in 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 general. You know, compared to Canada, which this actually has very little impact. The day-to-day, the movement of the housing market, um, you know, month over month has actually very little impact over the stability of our Canadian MBS market. And, you know, a lot of people say, how is that possible? Well, structurally, the, the MBS pools in, in, in Canada, will, and we'll look specifically at the pools that we buy in ZMBS, which are NHA 975 pools. These are five-year fixed mortgages. So, you know, we're not seeing like we see a lot in the U.S. with these with these floating rates or 30-year terms. These are five-year fixed mortgages that reset and will have to refinance after five years. You know, our market is extremely regulated, much more so than the U.S. And all the MBS pools that are purchased in ZMBS are 100% CMHC guaranteed. And that's an explicit guarantee with both principal and interest with no maximum by the federal government. If we did see a increase in, in defaults an increase in foreclosures, that investment from an MBS perspective is still 100% guaranteed by the federal government. So as an investor, you don't have to worry that a flurry of defaults is going to then drain on your return stream because that is right there from a federal government perspective. Some really, really great points there, you know, distinguishing between Canadian mortgage-backed securities in the U.S. And especially, I just want to highlight that the Canadian mortgage-backed securities in ZMBS are CMHC guaranteed complete government backing. So just a really important point to highlight there. Um, we have a couple questions that have been emailed in from advisors. So thank you everyone who sent us some questions and I think we have some time to take a few. Um, so maybe we'll start here. So the cyclical story seems to have taken a breather. Should I keep adding here or has this trade cooled off, this reopening trade? Chris, what do you think about this? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. Great question. Um, you know, I think uh, the, I think uh, you know, I alluded to the last couple of months. Tech has kind of taken back a little bit of leadership. I think tech was really associated with the growth uh, rally we had, kind of up until November, and then from November last year, you know, it's on the back of those positive vaccine announcements, which drove the reopening, um, the reopening trade. You know, you saw value really in favor. I think it depends, you know, the context of the question depends from what angle are you looking at that. Um, I think investors still have to be looking at equities for 
for the growth portion of the portfolio. I think, you know, to start at a high level, I think the first thing that's very important is to, to maintain that, that correct asset allocation level. Um, equity has certainly risen. I think that's one reason we continue to see flows into fixed income as investors have to manage that asset allocation level. Um, but within equities, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, if the question is concerned about getting out of equities, I don't think we're, we're, we're at that point. I think we're still in the middle of a reopening trend. Um, you know, we still have a great amount of stimulus from, from governments, both monetary and fiscal. And that's really, um, you know, I think been one of the key drivers about um, recovering from this COVID crisis kind of so, so quickly from a market perspective. Uh, certain, so there's certainly risk in the market. I think in terms of having a high, a, like a real high tilt to value, um, you know, value had a great start to the year. Perhaps it's time to dial that back a bit, but I would still stay invested in equities. Um, I think dividend-based strategies are a great place to be. So there's a little bit of exposure to value um, and they've had great performance this year. So whether it's our dividend ETFs or our cover call, high dividend suite, like a ZWC or ZWH, ZWE, you know, in US and Europe, um, you know, great ways to continue to get exposure to, to the markets and, and with a really high income yield. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, from the perspective of that question, it's, um, you know, I think we still have to be constructive on equities. Um, there's going to be a little bit of little bit of noise. So perhaps biasing your portfolio to even a higher quality exposure, utilizing our quality ETFs could be good. You know, I think maybe backing off a little bit of a really, you know, the value, you know, bringing it again a little closer to beta. You know, that, that could make sense. So I think we're, I think we're at an inflection point, though. I, I, I don't think it's a clear answer of is this kind of reopening trade done? We're seeing flows starting to go to technology again. Um, they're a little more balanced. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. But I think, you know, there's still positive earnings momentum in the U.S. Um, you know, banks in Canada are having great earnings. Um, so I think there's a lot of strong fundamentals in the market. Maybe I'll just add to your dividend trade point, like cash on cash on balance sheets is is really high right now as a lot of companies have been very prudent. So uh, another tailwind for the, that dividend trade. Uh, Chris, yeah, one and last just, just to, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to add this quick to that point, not only our companies uh, cash, you know, there's, there's a lot of savings in the economy as well. So there's actually a lot of cash to deploy from, from the overall populace who, you know, haven't gone on vacation. So saving rates in the U S and Canada are quite high right now at a, you know, multi year, if not multi-decade highs. So, there's a lot of cash to deploy all around. So I think, um, you know, again, another driver there. Yeah, great point. Uh, lastly, we have time for one more. So if, if you're willing to take it. Uh, currency, hedge or not to hedge, especially focusing on CAD USD. What are your thoughts there, Chris? You know, I think we're kind of at a long-term average right now. And so that sounds like such a kind of a cop-out <laughs> to say, you know, we're at the average and it's not too compelling. Um, we're still at about 125 on the on the U.S. dollar. Uh, I just came off another call this morning, so our our BMO strategists are forecasting CAD to get a little bit stronger, um, which would which would argue for hedging. Um, but again, I, I think they're not they're not arguing for a massive move. Uh, we saw the dollar trade as low as 120, but it was only there for about six weeks or so, and came back to that 125 level. Um, so again, this is basically the long-term average of dollar Canada over the past 30, 40 years. Um, I think again, U.S. dollars. I, I like looking at it from a portfolio perspective. Um, you know, I think having U.S. dollars in your portfolio tends to give you some free diversification um, because when equity markets sell off, 
you know, you tend to see that um, rally in the U.S. dollars. So I think every investor, particularly those who are in equities, uh, wants some U.S. dollars in their portfolio. Um, I'm inclined to, you know, say for a 60-40 balanced investor with maybe 30-40% in equities in the U.S., I'd I'd be looking to hedge maybe half of it. So I'm a little bit on the fence, Danielle. I think, um, you know, as as the dollar gets closer to 120, I think you want to go longer, more exposure. And as the dollar gets into that 130 range, 135, um, hedge it. And certainly when it was in that 140 range, we saw a lot of clients hedging their U.S. dollars. So I think we're kind of in the middle ground right now. And I think you do want some dollar exposures from a portfolio, some U.S. dollar from a portfolio point of view. But from a tactical point of view, I think we're kind of middle of the range right now. Thanks for that. What a great insight today. Thank you so much, Chris and Matt, for joining us. And thanks to everyone for listening. Keep your questions coming and we'll see you next week. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Matt Montemuro, and host Danielle Nezel for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about megatrends that could define the next decade for North American markets. Investors can gain exposure to these tectonic changes in the economy by accessing BMO GAM's Innovation ETF Suite, which includes ZCLEAN, ZCLN for clean energy, and ZAUT for autonomous tech. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.